Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm, Propel. And today on the show, we're going to put a challenge to all leaders. You are your brand. Yes, you. When you show up, when you engage, your brand thrives. In today's digital world, your choices and actions as a leader have the potential to undermine organizational brand and reputation, but they can also be the very things that truly bring it to life, that unlock its potential. In the words of our guest on today's show, the brands that do well are the brands where the boss shows up. But if you look around online at the digital presence of much of corporate Australia, it's clear to see that many leaders are showing up but you know, might be silent or, to be honest, yet to show up altogether. It's an enormous opportunity lost. So what does it take to get it right? What does it look like when a leader is or embodies the brand? And how can you translate that alignment, that symmetry, into your choices and actions online? I'm thrilled to be joined on the show by someone who deeply understands brand, who deeply understands his role as a co-founder and leader of a business, and who dreamt of making quality gin not even a decade ago, but has already been crowned the world's best, twice. He's the co-founder and brand director at Four Pillars Gin. Matt Jones, thank you so much for joining us on the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Rog, thrilled to be here. I love that. Love that introduction. I love any introduction that makes me sound smarter than I am. So thank you. <laughs> I'm only replaying the truth, the facts. And I should start too with a, a proper congratulations, Matt. It wasn't that long ago that um, you were essentially crowned the greenest spirit on the planet. Is that right? Well done. Yeah, thank you. That's a that's a very generous reading of it. But yeah, it was a, it was a great award. We we're very fortunate two years in a row back in 2019 and 2020 we we won the accolade of international gym producer of the year at the international wine and spirits competition in london which we like to think of as the the oscars of our industry and then this year we brought home a third trophy but this time it was their inaugural green spirits initiative trophy and you know we like to say at four pillars that sustainability is a is, is definitely a journey that we're on you know, it's a direction of travel. We're never going to get there. We're never going to get as as good as we'd like to be. But it was a wonderful accolade to get along the way, and just a really a great acknowledgement of the the hard work that's been done to interrogate, I guess, just every part of how we produce gin and 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 try and just work on every little area of of you know carbon footprint and just try and tread a little bit more lightly on the earth while we still make some great gin. So yeah, it was a it was a good day. No, well done and, and well said. And I think there's, you know, there's a lot of parallels between that sustainability message you've just shared and 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 this idea of digital reputation. It is an always on, always working mm-hmm. um, effort, uh, which I'm sure we'll unpack today. But you know, you've touched on the, um, you know, your business, your brand, or you're a co-founder of in Four Pillars. Maybe that's a, a good place for us to start this conversation. Could you give our listeners? A quick run through, I suppose, of the origin story for those who may not know the brand. And I think in particular, the different roles that you and your fellow co-founders, Stu and Cameron, have played uh, in building up the business over the past decade. Absolutely. So look, the Four Pillars journey is is probably about 10 years old. The brand itself will turn nine this December. So we will enter our, our 10th year of, of selling great gin here in australia in december but we've we've been on the journey for 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 a little more than a decade now and and i always like to say that four pillars has many strengths um you know the the quality of our gin is is foremost 
one of those strengths, if anyone looks at the sort of a profile picture of Four Pillars founders, they'll see that diversity is not one of those strengths. We are three pretty interchangeable, bald, middle-aged white blokes. Um, but beneath that sort of surface level <laughs> similarity, that there is this kind of great um, diversity of skill set. And, and so I guess when we met, Stu and Cam had been mates for 15 years prior. They'd, they'd really grown up together in, in the wine industry. They'd sort of gone their separate ways professionally. Cameron had stayed very much in the industry. He was living in the Yarra Valley. He'd worked across all areas of wine production, operations, sales, marketing. Stu um, had, had worked for a while in the industry. One of the things that he'd identified is that, that wine here in Australia had such potential but it was held back by its inability to tell its story really well. So he became really fascinated by storytelling. He set up a, a wonderful PR agency called Liquid Ideas, which has now been going, I think, about 20 years. And so at the time when I met Stu, he was running a PR agency. Cameron was working in wine. They'd been sort of dreaming about the possibility of making gin. I think they thought about making tonic for about a day and then remembered that gin was the fun part of a G&T. And they were sort of looking for a third wheel. They were looking for someone who would bring something else into the mix. And and I guess how it's transpired is that Cameron makes gin, Stu, in the best possible way, makes noise. And my job is sort of to make sense. I tend to be the, the backroom boy a little bit more. My background was economics into political strategy and speech writing and then brand strategy and comms. And, and so I've always enjoyed that intersection of storytelling, brand experience, and and the thing that drew me to gin and the thing that drew me to what, what Stu and Cam were envisioning was this sense that we could fundamentally make a differentiated product. I'd spent the best part of a decade in brand agencies and with all respect to some wonderful brands I worked for, at times it was down to the brand work, it was down to the creative communications to provide differentiation. But what was clear from the beginning is that we were going to try and make a fundamentally differentiated product. And so the job then of storytelling and the job of brand building was going to be trying to do justice to that, to try to bring that additional element, that that contextualizing, that 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 literal and figurative packaging around it that was going to give this Australian gin the best chance to succeed. So we we played around with flavor. What Cameron did, he's the he's the guy who has taught himself to very quickly become probably the most awarded gin distiller in the world in the last decade. He works on flavor. Um, we land on a, a what we think could be a great modern Australian gin. We say, look, we're 10,000 miles from London. Why would we make gin the way it's been made in London for 200 years? We can make modern Australian gin. For us, modern Australia was all about Mediterranean citrus, Asian spice, generosity of flavor, something really drinkable. That all landed in what we called our rare dry gin. We launched that through crowdfunding back in October, November of 2013. So we actually sold the first batch before we'd even finished the recipe. And the 309 people who signed up to buy batch number one remain to this day our, our batch number one club, the people who get first access rights to everything we make. And I always look back at that and go, that really hardwired this commitment to um, – intimacy with our customers this valuing of that direct customer relationship you know when you think about d to c to use the jargon direct consumer brands today i think it's more than just about how you sell it's about how you connect so with that 
hard, hard wiring in place. We, we were very fortunate. We saw great support from the Australian bar trade. We had great support from independent retailers. We were quite early picked up by you know some of the big retailers like Dan Murphy's and Vintage Sellers. March 2014, we're, we're still only three, three and a half months into it. We get an email from San Francisco, the World Spirits Competition, has given Four Pillars of Air Dry Gin a double gold medal. That meant that it had won a gold from every judge in the competition. It was one of only eight gins in the world that year to do that. And I guess to finish the genesis story, the origin story, I always think that was a critical sliding doors moment because back then in 2013, Hendrix was really the, the dominant player in super premium gin. There wasn't a lot of gin sold over 70 bucks. And of the gin that was sold over 70 bucks, well over 60%, just, just get that percentage in your head for a second, over six out of 10 bottles over 70 bucks were Hendrix. One brand with one product was utterly dominant. And I always look back at that moment in March 2014 when Cameron, who, whose background, he, before he got into wine, he, he was an athlete and he actually ran at the Olympics in, in, uh, in Atlanta in 96. And Stu and Cam always liked to, <laughs> Stu and I always liked to tease Cam that he never got particularly close to a medal um, at the Olympics. I mean, they made the semis, which is closer than I'll ever get. But there he is straight out the gate making this double gold medal winning gin. And I think it would have been easy at that point a, a building little community of, of direct consumers, great support in the on and the off trade, this this incredible medal accolade, it would have been kind of easy to go, well, there you go, there's our product. But when we sat down in, in quiet moments before our original still arrived, so we, we very early on we decided we had to have one of the world's best stills. It was We had to have a still made by Christian Karl in Germany. It took about a year and quite a lot of money to, to get her over here. We called her Wilma after Cameron's late mum. And in that sort of pause period, the only period of pause and reflection we've ever had in the history of Four Pillars, we really interrogated our purpose, our why, that sense of what value we wanted to create. And we agreed that at the heart of it was simply this desire to elevate the craft of distilling gin by making the most of the opportunities of making gin in Australia. We thought Australia was this incredibly untapped resource when it came to the possibilities of making gin. And so fortunately, with that purpose clarified, when we got to that moment in 2014, we didn't stop. Instead, we said, well, we haven't achieved that purpose by making one good gin. We achieved that by really exploring what's possible in gin. And I think really the, the, the following eight and a half years of Four Pillars have been that exploration in action, that, that desire to keep pushing what's possible when you use Australian botanicals, when you use Australian fresh produce, when you use the benefits of being in the Yarra Valley, which we're not in the Yarra Valley, um, our homes in Healesville, right in the heart of that beautiful wine country. We're not there strategically. We're there because Cameron lives there and he was going to do the hard work building the distillery. So that's where it is. And he gets to walk to work every day. But as a result, Shiraz Gin, Christmas gin, barrel-aged gins, gins we make with fresh olive oil, gins we make with oranges, all forms of citrus, gins we make with bartenders, with other distillers. The history of Four Pillars has then really been about this celebration and exploration of craft, and that's what, to your very kind introduction, led to that that two-time winning of International Gin Producer of the Year. And and then I think the the final little summary is – in around about 2019, we could see we were really outgrowing our, our home. 
we didn't want to leave our home, so we were very fortunate. We were able to purchase the the property next door. We were able to double the footprint of Four Pillars Distillery, and with I guess a little bit more confidence, a little bit more funding behind us, we were able to really then target sustainability outcomes without any compromise to the quality of the product. We'd always been fascinated by trying to be a closed loop distillery. We very early on. Cameron refused to throw away the oranges that we'd steamed to make our gin. And so we'd make this incredible marmalade and we hated throwing away flavor. But with what we called Healesville 2.0, we were able to really interrogate water use, energy use, glass waste. And that in turn is what has now led to Four Pillars being the first, I believe, craft distillery in Australia to be a, a carbon neutral accredited business carbon neutral accredited throughout the product line and, and now to win that Green Spirits Award. So look, 10 years of, of plenty of hustle, making gin, building brand, making lots of choices, but that's that's a that's a quick, crunchy summary of, of what brings us to today. And it, it's quite a story. And I think um, you know, you can you can get that sense of um, the I suppose the the journey that you've been on and the achievement in that time. And I suppose the the magnitude of the brand that you've built and are building, continue to build, and um, the different components of that. One thing you said in there that really jumped out to me, though, given all those accolades, given all the credentials, if you want, you mentioned it's not how you sell, it's how you connect. And I think for me, that's really interesting in terms of building that community. And, and you know, you've given us a really good understanding of the brand as an entity. And where I want to go next is around your own position on this, because that idea of connection is really important and something that we like to talk about um, with the guests that we have on this podcast. So, in, I mean, in that introduction, I mentioned something you'd said, which is the brands that do well are the brands where the boss shows up. That that concept of I've got to walk the talk. So given everything you said, and, and the, the gravitas of that, you have a responsibility as a co-founder, as a leader within that business to show up and carry that forward. Leaders in this case, in your case, really are the brand. And I think that's particularly true in the online world where, you know, every little digital footprint that we leave is an accessible, searchable proof point for stakeholders to validate or disprove your credibility. So if it's okay with you, what I thought I might do, Matt, is actually share a bit from your about section on your LinkedIn profile with listeners. And the reason being, I'll read it through, it raises an interesting question for me. So it reads, hyper-experienced, i.e. increasingly bald, yet highly energizing creative strategist, entrepreneur, and speaker with global background in political campaigning, communications, brand experience, and business. Passionate about tech, startups, art, culture, purpose, social impact, storytelling, leadership, design, behavior, community, and gin. It's over 340 characters long, and yet you only mention the word gin in the last three characters. Why is that? As, as the co-founder and brand director of a world-renowned gin business, as you described, why is it that your product isn't front and center in how you describe yourself? That's an interesting and confronting question. Um, so I may, I, may ha- I may have a good answer for that. So, so I think uh, I've got a few things I want to talk about, but let's, let's, let's start by um, not exploiting my old political strengths and throwing that back to you by answering a question I wanted, not the question you asked. But let's, <laughs> let's answer that question. Look, I, I, I think that in my case, we're, we're very fortunate at Four Pillars. We have three co-founders who all um, in their own right have an incredible ability to tell a story, 
to communicate, to connect, to build relationships. Cameron is, you know, he, he is not just the maker. He is the heart and soul of our business. He is the driver of our culture. He is the, the, he is ambassador number one. He, he, he's just an extraordinary um, human. He, he has this extraordinary ability to, to commit to his craft and, and excellence and at the same time represent that and tell that story. And that is rare. And if you have that, and I think, you know, there's going to be a few caveats as I answer this. You can't make people into things that they are not. At Four Pillars, we are very blessed that we've got three leaders. I'm by far the most shy and retiring of the three co-founders, but I'm reasonably able to hold my own with a microphone on a stage and a podcast, whatever it is. But I'm certainly third out of three when it comes to that capability. Stu is this bundle of of charisma. And and if Cameron leads our gin making and advocates on behalf of the gin, Stu leads our, uh, our desire to build relationships. And, you know, when we drew up our little leadership structure, we drew it as a triangle, um, and one of the sides wasn't commercial. It wasn't sales. It was relationships, and so there's always been that belief that it's it's building relationships, both with end consumers, with trade customers, with partners, with distributors. It's relationships and the strength of those relationships that will fuel ultimately those commercial outcomes. So, out of those, Stu, Cam, and then looking at me. My job was to always be much more behind the scenes. My job is not to be a face of the brand, which is going to be interesting when we now talk about the importance of leaders showing up. But my job is not to embody the brand. When people look at me, I'm not asking them to see Four Pillars. When people think about Four Pillars, when they visualize Four Pillars, I want them to picture Cameron standing next to Wilma and Jude and Beth and Linda are stills. I want them to picture Cameron and his team in the distillery. I'll give you an example. When we do our social media community management and we do a lot we community manage the hell out of our business every one of those interactions needs to feel like it comes from Hillsville, from the home of four pillars and most of them most of the time do i mean we now have so much community management to do that sometimes there are people here in sydney or people working remotely they all work for four pillars none of it is outsourced all of it comes from the heart and as much as possible the call is coming from inside the building. The, the, the community management is coming from someone. So when someone messages us as they do every year, we just we just announced our Christmas gin and we always get a few people saying, I'm a celiac. This sounds fantastic. Is this going to be safe for me to, to consume? It's a grain spirit. There was Christmas pudding involved in the distillation. And the community management, the response that comes back can be literally and authentically, I just went downstairs and had a conversation with Cameron and this is what he said to me. Um, And that makes such a difference. So that's a very long-winded run-up to saying, Gin is not front and centre of my LinkedIn profile because I'm not here to try and be an embodiment of four pillars. I I am me. I'm someone who is a bit of an accidental entrepreneur with a background in brand, and I'm not trying to hide that. And I'm not trying to sort of obfuscate and say I'm anything other than a professional brand builder, strategist, communicator who happens to have landed in the world of gin and is now doing my best to do justice to what's being made down there. But if you're looking for the embodiment of four pillars, don't look at this bald guy. Look at the other two because they're actually the, they're the front people and they're the public faces. You know what's interesting about, or from my perspective, Matt, is that 
you talked about that leadership leadership structure and you talked about your authenticity and your role in that. And there is no right or wrong answer to this in terms of who you are aside from being yourself. And I completely agree with that. But you described that that triangle. And I think what struck me is that we see, particularly as an organization reaches a certain level, what you tend to see is actually more of a homogenization of leadership. What you Mm. see is that people start trying to replicate one another and trying to represent what they believe to be as an archetypal leader of that organization as opposed to themselves. And what you've just described beautifully there is the complete opposite and what really resonates with people online. As you said, you might look the same in terms of your visual identity, but your stories and your backgrounds and your strengths and your passions and all those things are unique. And I love that because that was exactly what we would advise clients to look at is you might all be working towards the same goal and you're very clear on that in four pillars, but you'll have your own ways of doing it. You'll have your own audiences with whom that story resonates. And it's important not to dilute that. It's important to remain distinctive but aligned. I think so. And I think what that does for me, and I'll talk about my decision-making process, is it means that I give myself an anchor in every environment I show up as a leader. So I had I was down in Melbourne Thursday, Friday last week. I had two opportunities to speak. One was on the Thursday morning. Um, it was at a conference being run for pub owners, hotel operators, and I was invited to give the opening keynote. And so my focus was on talking to them about the lessons from Four Pillars that they could apply to their business in seeking to build their brands, in seeking to do all the various things that the brand could do for their business, from attracting staff to attracting customers to driving loyalty. So my storytelling came from an authentic place. I then very unashamedly told them the Four Pillars story, but I used the Four Pillars story as an example of brand building. On the Friday night, I had the opportunity to go and speak to um, a group of business school students, some current students, some alumni. And again, they wanted me to talk about marketing and brand strategy. And they wanted to taste some gin because it was Friday night. So I was happy to do a gin tasting for them because the gin tasting was illuminating a marketing story. But had they picked up the phone and said, Matt, we're having our Christmas social and we want someone to come along and entertain us while we get drunk, I'd have said, I'm the wrong, I'm the wrong Four Pillars founder. That's not, that's not my gig. And that's not about me being shy and retiring. That's not about me um, being antisocial. It's about me knowing where my place is, what, what my anchor should be, what my center of gravity should be. So I will proudly share the, the accolades of Four Pillars, the stories of Four Pillars, the gin of Four Pillars, but I'll try and always do it with relevance to my professional skill set and my capability and my reason for being in that room, whether it's a digital room like this or whether it's a, a, a physical room. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like there's, um, you know, authenticity is probably intrinsically linked to feeling content and confident in who you are. Um, and and what we find is that people who in the offline environment might have that, it doesn't necessarily translate into the online environment because they feel like more people are watching or that people are looking to, you know, spot those imperfections and spot those flaws and, and bring people down. And I do think that it carries even more impact and even more influence, if I can call it that, when you carry that same persona online. You know, we talk about this idea of symmetry in your profile, who you are offline needs to be consistent with who you are online uh, because otherwise people who know you from either of those domains are going to start asking questions when the two don't match up. So no, I, th- I think the way you're describing that in all your exchanges is 
you know, whether you think that you consider yourself to be a, a, a best practice example, whether you consider yourself to be the most vocal and out there leader. And I know some people perceive social media to be all about soapbox and chest beating. That's not the case. It's about turning up as yourself as a leader. And that's the authentic story that's going to resonate with people. Something you've just made me think about there and, and, and I was reflecting on as, 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 people listen to this and perhaps some leaders are listening to this and thinking, but I don't want to, I don't want to be that kind of alpha leader who casts a shadow over my business. And I don't want to be that, 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 that person who tries to take all the credit. I think you've said something really, really insightful there, which is you don't need to show up online and in public any more or differently than you show up in the business. But the way that you show up inside your business, the type of leader you try and be there you should be willing and able to project that externally. So you don't need to overreach. You know, so, so, you know, I don't claim any leadership over the quality of our gin at Four Pillars. I completely stand aside and let Cameron and Stu navigate that world. So, you know, I'll give you an example. We took about two years to make the decision to turn our three frontline signature gins into ready-to-drink canned gin and tonics. Red Rye, Blaise Shiraz, and Fresh Yuzu Gin are now two gin and tonics and a Yuzu Gin and Soda. They're sensational drinks. There was an enormous amount of trepidation about, do we go into that category? Is the, is the ready-to-drink category you know, not right for Four Pillars? Is it right that a, a world-leading craft brand with, with aspirations to, to stand for, you know, to be a, a true kind of craft luxury brand, is it really right for us to go into ready-to-drink cans? Well, probably when we started out, the ready-to-drink gin and tonic category was, was not one that covered itself in glory. But what we've seen over the last, you know, decade is a profound shift in the way that people in Australia want to drink. They're looking to drink often less, but better. They're looking to drink more considered, more craft, more local products. And they don't really want to compromise when convenience is a factor. So when they're going on a road trip to a beach house, fishing to a barbecue, and it's just not going to be practical to take a full bottle of gin and ice and garnishes and good glassware, they still want to drink well. And so really my role was to work with not just Stu and Cam, but our leadership team to really interrogate, is there a place for four pillars in this? But once that was done, and now the question was, how do we land the liquid? I completely stepped away. And it wasn't for me to get involved again until the liquid was was refined at a level that Stu and Cam and people like James Irvine, our creative director of drinks, were really, really happy with. And then I could come back in and help with storytelling and branding and packaging and positioning and all of those things. So when I then sort of think about how I show up in in the world, I'll tell that story about our RTDs, but I'll tell it through my lens. What I'm not going to try and do is 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 overreach. And so I think that's a that's a really important way for leaders to find, I guess, almost peace with that demand on them to show up. And 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 yeah, just to emphasize, it's not about taking credit for things that rightly belong to other people. It's simply about showing up and and representing the same advocacy, the same leadership, the same passion, the same purpose and focus that you do internally and being confident and comfortable to express that externally. And I'd love to I'd love to rip in a bit more into why I think that is so important right now. Absolutely. And and 
let's do that. I, I want to touch on that idea, you know, because I completely endorse that uh, concept of this is not my story to tell. And I think that does come along with that territory of, of being a homogenized leadership team is that it's okay for individuals to own stories. It's okay for certain people not even to engage with certain stories that are not theirs. And your advice is good. I would add to that and say, talking directly to advisors, talking directly to the communications advisors. If you have a thousand stories to tell, it does not mean that every leader needs to tell each of those thousand mm. stories. You've got to work out the authenticity of that story, the connection to your leader and the leader's connection to their audience. Because if you're trying to tell every single story through every single person, you know, people are going to get tired pretty quickly of being channel spammed. Um, and, and I think it also raises a, another thought for me, Matt, that's you know perhaps a bit philosophical and, and one that we may not be able to cover today. It's a big one. But we often hear about this idea of the digital mirror and the fact that you know when people hop online, they they feel like they need to be someone else. And, and I, I, I take your point there is you don't need to. You, you just need to be yourself, which I completely agree with. But what we... You know, what we might find as people get more comfortable and become more active online and leaders and through the workforce is that being active online will actually start to challenge who you are offline. And you'll realize as you start to play around with this idea of the digital mirror and uh, am I symmetrical, am I consistent online and offline is it's a bit of a digital stress test for leaders to say, have I been showing up to meetings and have I been authentic to myself? Because now I'm talking about things in the online environment where I do feel exposed. Why do I feel exposed? Is it my territory to own? Yeah, look, I don't think you're being philosophical. I think you've, I think you've nailed the essential point of this, this two-way relationship. So I've got three or four quick points on that. The, the, the first, just as, a, just as a really quick, talking about the practice of storytelling. I think storytelling is an essential part of leadership. I, th I think the best way for strategy to live in our organizations is, is through the, the medium of storytelling. Strategy is going to die if it lives in Gantt charts and heavily, you know, heavily overpopulated consultant PowerPoint. Strategy is going to live in your organization because you tell the story of that strategy. You, you tell the stories of what you're trying to do, where you're trying to play, how you're going to win, how you're going to grow. And that ritual is, is, is embedded into your leadership practice. One of the best ways to do that is to consistently tell that story externally because that does two things. One, it gets you practiced in telling those stories. And two, it forces you to say, well, wait a minute, I just told this room of people this is what we're doing. Is that what we're actually doing? So that's a really that's a really interesting feedback loop to yourself. It's it's a it's um uh, forgive the the profanity, but it's a bit of a bullshit test on on am I am I walking the talk because I just talked the talk? Are we walking it back in house? That leads to a second point, which I I I think is is material to this, and and it sort of goes back to. I, I was fortunate. I had a couple of years working in New York and I came back to Australia and set up my own consultancy. And this is in the, the relatively early days of social media. So I, I set up a little brand consultancy around 2012 and it was only a year after that that really started to get serious about the gin and very quickly the gin became the main thing. I did quite a bit of work in, in corporate Australia at that time and on the back of a lot of work in corporate America and a very consistent refrain was, 
we need to rebuild a line of sight to the customer. We need to drive customer centricity through the business. And, you know, again, you'd have the, the big consultancies sort of crawling all over these corporate entities, trying to help them with human-centered design practices and customer-centric thinking. And one of the simple ways to be more customer-centric is for leaders to show up in the eyes of customers. Because if I, as a leader, am willing to be seen by my customers then in turn, hopefully I'm seeing them back. Whereas if I as a leader am comfortable that my brand is not in any way embodied by me or by my senior leadership team, it's so much easier then for that CEO and for that SLT to effectively lose that line of sight to the end customer as well. So that's a small point. And that then leads to, to the bigger point, which is what I was kind of building to, which is really... This notion, it goes back to what you said in the introduction about the importance of leaders as, as voices for the brand, as, as, as almost kind of artifacts of the, of the brand, if you like. I think it is fairly obvious in the startup phase that brands have a better chance of thriving and growing when those brands are embodied by people when there isn't just a something, but there's a someone. And whether you're talking about building business partnerships because the nature of your go-to-market strategy means you need to work with partners or whether you're talking about end consumers, when people can buy from someone, it's so much easier for that brand to quickly gain traction when there is a founder story, when there is a sense of someone with conviction and with heart and with passion behind it. I think it's less obvious that that is still necessary as you grow, it's again, I can imagine people listening to this podcast going, but you know what? My expertise is financial, commercial, organizational. It's okay for me to sit behind the scenes. We can, we can pay people to be brand ambassadors. We can, we can pay people to, to sort of represent and embody our brand. Our job is to be a, a professional leadership squad. And as I'm talking about this, I'm thinking even about the, you know, the famous story of when, Apple decided that maybe Steve Jobs wasn't the guy and maybe they should bring in a nice old grown-up. I think he came from Pepsi, you know, and they go, okay, well, let's now get a grown-up corporate leader to run the business. And, of course, what Apple lost was that utter obsession with design and with design thinking because Steve Jobs embodied a way of thinking and a way of being. And I think this is why showing up as a leader is so important because it really forces you to interrogate not just what we've been talking about, which is what contribution do I make? What's my what's my anchor? What's the what's the role that I play? But it also forces you to say, how do I as a leader add value to our end customer? And that in turn forces you to champion the things that I think matter in the world. Craft, product excellence. The world does not need another anything. The world needs a better something. How are you in your category with your product or your service or your offering, creating a better something for your customer? Are you clear on who that customer is and how you are going to make their lives better in some way by doing something that is faster, cheaper, superior, different, whatever it is, whatever whatever your form of better is? You as a leader have to champion that. You can't just be the person behind the scenes who is sort of doing things that, that drive kind of organizational or, or operational or commercial outcomes, but with no value to the customer. So that feedback loop, back to your notion of the mirror, the way you show up offline 
the way you show up behind the scenes doesn't just inform the way you should show up online, but the way you show up online and in public should then in turn feed back to how you show up in the organization. And all of that needs to be anchored much more tightly around how you are creating value for your end customer. So for me, it's 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 not just about the importance of a brand having a human face or human faces plural and having people to tell its stories, although I think that is critical, particularly in that startup phase. But it's it's maintaining that as you grow and maintaining that connection between the leadership group and customer value. And, and, and not allowing this sort of fracturing that you often see at the top end of town where the leadership group of an organization has to pay consultants to help them reconnect with their customers, has to pay people to help them understand what does our customer want? What does our customer think? So for me, it's, it's the, the superficial value of, of, of showing up is obvious, but I actually think there's, there's incredible deeper value as well, which you know your question touches on. And I, I want to explore that that idea of growth, I suppose, and these these milestones or these transitions in, um, you know, the maturity of an organisation, the growth of an organisation, because I think that's, you know, there's a really important point in you talked about the apples of the world and the culture that they generate. And there's something I want to explore with you too. You've talked about this idea of, you know, four pillarsness as you refer to it. And I want to know how that applies in the online world. You know, one of the things that, that you're proud of in terms of that culture um, within four pillars, something that's baked into into the company is this idea where you know the four pillarsness idea, where you're empowering people, everyone in the business, to trust their instincts and to share ideas that take the business forward, and and to ultimately back themselves and turn that idea into action. So, how does that, in terms of that culture, how does that get beyond leadership? How does it get extended? across the organization, across the workforce? And how does that then get amplified online? Huge questions, good questions. I'll start by going back to, and I won't go too deep, don't worry, just some basic philosophies of brand and culture. And can probably sum, sum those up in, in, a, in, a simple, in a simple idea that both brands and cultures are verbs not nouns and adjectives. They are living things. They are behaved things. And so both your brand strategy, your definition of your brand, your definition of the the, the personality of the brand that you want to project and the definition of your culture, these need to be understood so they can be behaved rather than written up as, as, as neat little lists so they can be recited. It is not helpful for people to be able to say, well, our four brand values are X, and our four cultural beliefs of why, if that doesn't translate Z into behavior. I think there's there's probably three layers of behavior that, that, that sort of define four pillarsness. One is how we work with each other internally. The second is what are all of us ultimately trying to do? And the third is how do we want to show up in the world? And the common through line through all of those, and I say this, and in my mind, I've got this picture of our org chart and, and recognizing there's now about 20 people who report in to um, Gemma Blanche, our brilliant marketing director. <laughs> but with all respect to Gemma and all respect to, to her team, we have talked since day one that of four pillars, we are makers, not marketers. We are makers, not marketers. We are driven by a passion 
for making gin. It is written into our purpose. It is why we exist. It's it's why we matter. If 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 indeed four pillars matters, we matter because of the quality and the creativity and the innovativeness and the drinkability and the flavor of the gin that we make. If people want to come to our distillery, and we're hoping to attract about 200,000 people to our distillery in Hillsville this year, if people want to come to our laboratory in Surrey Hills, if people want to sign up to our emails and receive early access to our small batch gins, if we win awards, all of it comes down to that total commitment to making gin and exploring the possibilities of making gin here in Australia. We are makers, not marketers. So the job of marketing is then to share that making, to amplify it, to reach new people. And that, and then you say, well, why is that important? Well, because this is a noble cause. You know, we, we may not be saving the world, but we are trying to help people drink a little bit better, drink a bit more local. We are hopefully creating jobs in Hillsville. We're, we're, we're inspiring people about the quality of things that we can make in Australia. Um, we're, we're very mindful about the way that we encourage people to consume alcohol we're trying to be sustainable along the way we've got great stories to tell but it all comes down to that passion for making and then we say well what are we making well we're making gin so gin should be fun okay so when we show up in front of people as makers not marketers should people who make gin seem rather boring and over serious well no gin is gin is a drink gin is socializing gin is fun we need to look like we're having fun so then the codes for how we show up in the world are all about not just appearing to be very creative and well-designed. And design is very important to us because design conveys attention to detail. We can't make everyone stand in front of our stills for eight hours and see the attention to detail that goes into every batch, but they can hopefully see the attention to detail that goes into the design of every label, every piece of collateral, every bit of storytelling. You go, these guys care. And so I can then you know, make that mental journey from if they care about this, how much must they care about every batch of gin we want to show up creatively this sense of there's there's energy there's hustlers makers we're always thinking about the next thing to make not the next marketing campaign but equally we want to show up in a way that is great fun and so then when we talk to everyone who writes our emails community managers on social media we talk about this notion of being a fun brand doesn't mean being a jokey brand you, you, the quality of your gin is not affected by the quality of the sense of humor of the people who made it, although Cameron and Stu are both very funny bastards. But as a fun brand, what we want to do is be a brand that has a smile on our face as we work. It doesn't have to be too serious. We can take our craft seriously, but not ourselves too seriously. And so I would sort of ask anyone who's writing a comment, like, are you smiling as you're writing that? Does it does it just give you a little lift? Is there a smile in the tone of voice? And so there's a lot of things written down at Four Pillars. There's a lot of induction about you know the incredible team we've got at the distillery who host every hospitality session and every masterclass. There's there's different codes for different groups. There's training. There's documentation. But at the heart of it is just this very simple understanding of what we want our brand and our culture to be as a verb, which is a culture of makers, not marketers a culture that is driven by the possibilities of making gin here in Australia, a culture that's driven by the fact that we take our craft seriously, but not ourselves seriously, that we seek to have fun, that we seek to stay true to who we are and where we've come from. We're now in 25 countries worldwide. We now, you know, you, as much Four Pillars is sold in Australia as Hendrix, you know, and this is a gin that, you know, eight, nine years ago had 60, 70% of the market. Um, so, those things, I think, keep keep our behavior 
honest and going back to the start of it, it's not about the quality of the lists that we have written about brand values and, and, and cultural values and beliefs. It's really, I, I would like to think about the, the quality of shared understanding of how we want to be and behave and show up as a brand and a culture in the world. That's wonderful, Matt. Thank you for sharing. And look, I'm obviously not on your side of the fence, but I am smiling while I'm listening. So it has an impact. You can sense the energy. You can sense the fun in your story. And I've really enjoyed learning more about you and and more about that story and and your approach today. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, And I suppose if, if people listening today, if they've got questions, if they've got encouragements, from what you shared today, what's the best way for them to reach you? Where are you showing up online that that's the best place to connect? Um, look, it's 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 so the best place to connect with me is 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 LinkedIn. Um, I'm my my LinkedIn inbox is slightly less cluttered than my actual email inbox, but I'm also easy to find. It's uh, Matt at fourpillarsgin.com.au. I do answer all my emails eventually. The Four Pillars website is a great place to learn more about the brand. Personally, apart from LinkedIn, I'm trying to stay pretty modest on social media. I, I, I think all of us are running out of time at the moment and we need fewer distractions. And I think there is an essential tension between staying on top of how your brand is showing up in the world and how your customers are behaving and what's happening in social media and also giving yourself enough time to think and to breathe. And if I've got a couple of hours to read, I'd rather read my paper copy of The Economist every week and feel like I'm getting a download of, of genuine information and insight rather than just scrolling endlessly through Instagram. So, um, yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, check out the Four Pillars website and, and come and say good day in our, in our homes in, um, in Hillsville and Sydney. We'd love to see you. Wonderful, Matt. Matt Jones, thank you so much for being part of your Digital Reputation podcast. Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.